You're listening to Break the Cycles, where we talk all things motorcycles and speak to ordinary people doing extraordinary things on two wheels. Welcome to Break the Cycle. My name is Jan, and I am here joined by my co-host, Farida. Today, we're interviewing Yermo. Yermo describes himself as a software guy, motorcyclist, and a reluctant rider. He, start, he started riding motorcycles at the age of seven and has ridden consistently since then. He has ridden across the country six times, including all the way to Dead Horse, Alaska, and back from D.C. on street tires, no less. When not out on one of his adventures, he's busy constructing milesbymotorcycle.com, a place where you and your friends can plan and track better rides together. He has been known to write and actively enjoys helping people become better motorcyclists. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So for the listeners that do not know, um, Yermo is my motorcycle mentor from the very beginning. Uh, and it is because of the lessons he taught me this has become a lifelong passion for me instead of a, you know, a passing interest. So to begin our topic of conversation today, so we're going to be talking about the importance of mentorship in motorcycling. We'll punt it off to Yermo. How important is, is a motorcycle mentorship and why do you need a motorcycle mentor? Well, like you said in one of the, the previous podcasts, to get into motorcycling, it's important to take the safety course, get the safety gear. But as you also pointed out, it's it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. What do you do? You've got your endorsement, you've got your bike, you got your gear, what next? You're just gonna go out on the road? That's a recipe for disaster as most motorcycle accidents happen in the first six months of ownership. So there's gotta be, and this is a, a, a big missing piece in the market, because there's no solution to this problem of how do you go from you know, zero miles with an endorsement to somebody who's gonna be safe on the road. And the only way that I know of, and the only way I've seen done, is you find somebody who's gonna take the time to help you make that transition by mentoring you, by watching you, and by carefully guiding you through that process. The problem is that with most motorcyclists out there, they're gonna, push you to ride too fast above your ability, not be in the headspace where you are. And so that's why finding a decent mentor is so rare. My focus is usually less about early on the quality of the ride, but more the skill set, the philosophy, and most importantly, the safety aspect of it. Because it is so, so very easy to get yourself in trouble on a motorcycle. And most people will approach it like driving a car not realizing it's more like flying a helicopter. You practice, and as you had said in, in another podcast, you practice until it becomes muscle memory. Because as you well know, when bad things happen, you don't have enough time to think. As I was prepping for this, Yermo, I read some of your notes that you would give me after, and oh my God, I was really lucky to have that. So as you said, not everyone has a mentor and not everyone has a mentor that takes the time because anyone that has riding, especially here, the weather is nice. You want to ride. You don't want to take the time to teach someone. But the notes were so specific. Get young to fix things on the bike. <laughs> uh, you go to gear chick, let her get you the right gear. Very specific things. You were not kidding. You're like, you're not going to come with me on the road before you get. I thought I had all the gear. 
had to upgrade my gear to ride with Yermo. Rid of that back protector and made certain you had everything the D3O hip gear. And yes, it was D3. Your chick is really wonderful with that. I mean, she, yeah, she's so patient and yeah. And yeah, so I went to her for that. I had Jan fix the stuff, I worked with him on that too. And then the practice part, which was amazing. It's like go out, you know, uh, repeat this, do this, and repeat, repeat. And I appreciate that it wasn't just the time put into mentoring but it's also writing these notes it's like a proper course with the homework notes and everything yeah but the thing is like every rider when i help somebody get into motorcycling my goal is for them to become a better rider than i am and not have to make the mistakes that i made along the way and so it's a and it's a it's a model that you see at uh, like the california superbike school once mm-hmm. you get to level four, you get a coach and then a consultant. The coach watches you ride. They evaluate you very, very carefully. And then the consultant sits down with you and comes up with exercises to address your weaknesses. So when we talk about mentoring, it's not just, hey, here, let's, uh, here's a clutch. Here's a throttle. Let's go for a little ride. Oh, mm-hmm. you know, you're not going fast enough. It's not, it's not sufficient. You need somebody who's going to pay very, very careful attention to the things that you're doing. And that's going to going to provide you a safe environment where you can focus on one thing at a time out on the street or in a parking lot so that you're not so overwhelmed. And then you can prove that, repeat, repeat until it becomes muscle memory. And then you, you have a little bit more capacity to fold in the next thing, which is why I always tell people when I'm coaching them, especially a brand new rider, you know, the deal is they don't go on pavement, you know, on, on the street until I feel like they're ready. And then for the first thousand miles, I ask them not to ride by themselves or with anybody who is inexperienced. You know, notably, hopefully they ride with me and I ride with them for the thousand miles. And Jan, that was the case with you, right? We did 3,000 miles. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, so, so Jan talked me into the Sina Communicators, which is the last thing on earth I wanted at that time. <laughs> <laughs> to have Jan in your ear while you ride. That was just a. But then he framed it saying, well, then, you know, you could be coaching me without having to use so many hand signals. It quickly became clear that it was such an asset. Because you can imagine, so you're a new rider, you're you're on a road, let's say it's a little twisty, and you're still fumbling with the, the throttle, the brake, the clutch, um, and so much of your, your mental capacity is taken up by these simple actions, these simple motions, which have not yet become second nature muscle memory. So you have so little less capacity available to pay attention to the road, the corner that's coming up, you know, that deer or that pothole or whatever. So having a mentor who's going to ride your ride, not his or her ride, Mm -hmm. and kind of guide you through all those things that you don't have enough, you know, space to pay attention for, it's going to decrease the chances that bad things happen. So when I started, I was riding with Jan and the Senna in my head was all Yermo stories. And that's how I ended up. I was like, I got to meet this man. Every single little thing he taught me, he told me how you taught him. And it was all Yermo stories in my ear. And then I had Yermo in my ear, which was fun. I'm so sorry. Yes. No, no, I loved it. Are you kidding me? That's why I texted you. I was like, Yermo. 
Please teach me. I think one of the moments where like Yermo decided that he was going to get the Senna was we were on the Blue Ridge Parkway, I believe. And then we were riding down and I stopped by to take this photo because of this sign. And then he took off and then he like raced back around like five minutes later because he thought I crashed and died because I wasn't behind him anymore for quite a while because I was like funneling with the camera, getting off the bike, trying to take a photo. <laughs> and then he like rushes back. He's like, oh, my God, are you OK? I was like, yeah, <laughs> like got to get that center. <laughs> oh, that, that is one of the worst feelings ever when you look in the rear view and they're not there. That is a. Uh... That's a lightning strike of panic right there. <laughs> I, well, Yun shouldn't have done that, Senna or not. You don't do that with your mentor. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell him. He, I couldn't communicate with him. He has to be in the front. I take the photo, but... You know how many picture opportunities I missed? Because <laughs> right? Right? I would never dare stop when you guys are going. But yeah, so so one of the... I mean, I talked to a lot of people that want to get into motorcycling and... and I think one of the things you said, like, you know, managing less things so that your mentor can help you navigate the road so you can focus on one thing at a time. It's it's such an important thing that everybody can, like, understand. But also at the same time, it's it's one of those things where people don't really recognize it until you tell them that that is important. I remember this distinctly one time, Yermo was in front of me. We were making a right turn onto uh, 193. And an ambulance came by and I almost dropped my bike because I was like trying to fumble with the control. I have no idea what I was doing, but at least I was following him. So he was navigating the road for me, mm-hmm. you know, and that and that and that made all the difference because if not, then I would have just dropped my bike right, or, or whatever it might be. It becomes too overwhelming, you know. Right. Yermo, I have a question for you that Jan couldn't answer, surprisingly. I thought he knew everything about you. Did you have a mentor? <laughs> no. Or and so tell me about it. Is this what made you feel like this is something you wish you had when you started riding? Or oh, God, yes. No, I mean, I've been riding motorcycles since I was seven years old. And, uh, mm-hmm. and the thing was, is I never wanted to get into motorcycles. I was forced into it against my will. Tell I, me more. <laughs> I a little like lawnmower powered mini bike because my timid self, that's all I could imagine myself doing. I imagined myself as a seven year old riding the little lawnmower powered mini bike around the yard and that was all i wanted and uh i asked my old man that and i guess he thought that that was just a little too timid and he showed up with a harley x90 street bike it was a super small but it could do 65 miles an hour and he sits me on the bike shows me you know the brake that collects the gas shows me how to start it and says, okay, now let's go to the clutch, give it some gas. And the next thing I know is I'm running up the hill and smack into the uh, side of the garage. Ooh. Yeah. And so what ended up happening is I, I'm largely, I was largely self-taught and rode for decades like that without any other than, you know, uh, when I turned 17, I took the motorcycle safety foundation course. I took the advanced course. I even looked into and took part of the instructor course, but decided Mm. it wasn't for me. But it wasn't, I mean, and people would look to me because I had all this experience, but I also had a tremendous number of bad habits that I didn't know were bad habits. Interesting. And then what ended up happening, it was in 2002, I think, I was at Deals Gap with my buddy Ian. 
And uh, that's where we met Tara. And Tara was on a DR650, and she asked if she could go ride, ride with us. And I should have paid attention to the fact that she had a full uh, Alpenstar race suit on. But I did. And so I said to Ian, you know, maybe we should let her go first because, you know, we, we didn't want to, you know, pressure her to ride too fast or anything like this. And uh, we got through the first three corners of Deal's Gap. And she's, it's not like she walked away. It's not like she ran away. She was gone. <laughs> no trace. And, Whoa. and we started stepping it up and stepping it up because we're, we're convinced she's crashed. There's no way that anybody could ride that fast. We started wondering, you know, how are we going to contact her next of kin? <laughs> and we roll up to the overlook. And there's Tara. She's sitting on the stonework, looking at the lake, helmet <laughs> off. And we walk up. It's like, you didn't, you disappeared. She says, oh, I don't know. I just was watching the scenery and didn't notice. Whoa. And uh, so later on, I happened to hear her talking to this guy who was clearly a coach she was paying to coach. Oh. And then I learned that she had been to race school and I learned, and I started listening to the coach and he started talking about some ideas I had never heard about. And at that moment I realized that I'd been riding, I don't know, it was 30 years at that point. And I realized I knew nothing about motorcycles. Wow. And that's when I started taking it seriously. That's so interesting. So how many cross-country trips have you done? It's six now, I think. So oh, wow. 91 on my VFR 1100. That was coast to coast and a lot in Colorado. 92 was an attempt at the Arctic Circle hmm. from D.C. And I uh, I got sick on the way and I, I didn't make it. Um so I had to stop and, and recover for several days. But uh, then there was this 18-year hiatus where I did nothing. And then in 2010, that's when I did the big trip. Big trip for me. I mean, not young. <laughs> I had, uh, that's when I did the big trip up to Alaska, which, uh, which pretty much changed everything. How so? Uh, so many doors got open. And that's, that would be like a topic beyond probably what we can talk about now. I mean, I've got 55 articles of a blog that I wrote about that trip. And, uh, but that was the big one. And then mm -hmm. I guess uh, 2013 is when Yun and I went. Mm -hmm. Then I went in 2014 and that's when I kind of randomly ran into the Cannonball Centennial ride. And then 2016 was the Transamerica Trail. Mm -hmm. and, and that's it. Oh, wow. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Says, says the man who went to Ushuaia, right? Yes. <laughs> right? Uh, you trained that man. That he did. I mean, there's something else to say about uh, ha finding someone responsible who's going to take the time to pay attention. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that you don't learn in courses anywhere are all the little details that go into motorcycle travel. How do you hold your helmet? What What's the order that you put stuff on? How do you make certain you don't drop it? Um, how do you decide how to park the bike when there's a double incline? Mm -hmm. um, 
and there's all just all these almost subconscious decisions that you make that you've learned after so many years in the saddle that people mm-hmm. who are following you just kind of pick up by osmosis. And I find that's incredibly important because the injuries don't happen from primary skills. The injuries happen like not knowing to not put your foot down in the middle of an intersection on the little hump when you're at a, at a traffic light. Cause of course that's where all the oil gets ripped. Right. It's a small thing, but nevertheless, there's just all of this, this kind of subtle background information that, that can get conveyed in those th- thousand miles. And I don't know that we would even be able to list them all out because they just kind of mm-hmm. happen. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I think there are so many nuances and it, when it happens, like you just need someone there to just let you know at the moment. And then you kind of just learn it like organically, even if you were able to list it out, if you were in there at that moment, I mean, it wouldn't, it, you wouldn't be able to trans, translate that while you're riding. That internal emotional reaction to a, to a given thing, whether it's, it's something that, um, what does he call it? The Keith Code has a term for it, the survival response. You know, we human beings are not really well evolved to ride motorcycles. So a lot of what you learn, especially in the thousand miles, is how to manage your own internal state when you get scared, when the mm-hmm. unexpected happens. Become aware of your body when it gets too cold, when it gets too tired, because that's where the mistakes happen. One thing Jan mentioned about being on the road and what he, what you taught him is also when things ha- break on your bike and how to fix it. So it's not always just the riding. It's what kind of tools to pack. And as you said, how to, the order to put your gear on. These little things that I guess people don't think of once they have their motorcycle uh, endorsement. It's like, wait, I put my gloves on, but I still didn't put my helmet on. Oh, yeah. take off the gloves. Right. <laughs> yeah. The helmet on. Oh, wait a minute. I forgot the earplugs. That still happens. <laughs> so much for muscle memory it still happens i mean it happens less but it still happens to young's point about a mentor then being able to make motorcycling a more rewarding experience if that mentor has been riding for a while they're probably bored silly going to and from starbucks unless of course they're me (laughs) but uh but yeah they're gonna know good roads they're gonna know good places to go and they're going to be able to evaluate you over time and slowly escalate the the kinds of roads you go on, how far you ride, and then introduce you to this kind of wider world. And then if you're really fortunate, maybe they'll take you on a trip. Mm. And that's when, or out of town, and that's where, you know, knowledge of how to fix the bike, things that can go wrong. I mean, one... One guy that I was mentoring, Ben, um, we'd been riding at probably 1,500 miles, and he had he had an off in gravel. He came into this, this gravel area too hot, laid the bike down, and oh. uh, ground a 50-cent-sized hole in his engine case. Oh, God. Wow. Yeah, he was fine. I mean, he wore all the gear that I had recommended or I think he found, and... Um, so I always carry, uh, it's called liquid steel. It's needable epoxy. I, you know, we wow. back on the side, pulled the side cover off, took out all the gravel, and I needed a patch for his 50 cent size hole. And uh, 
met a rider who was going by. He knew of a place who had oil. So I followed this guy, went, got some oil, came back, put everything back together again. And he rode his bike, I think it was four or five years with that patch. <laughs> Whoa, that's awesome. Out having at least some rudimentary understanding of you know how the bike works, you can run into situations where a really, really simple problem can end your trip for you. I remember mm-hmm. I was at the Shenandoah 500 back in 2014, practicing for the Trans-America Trail Trip. And uh, it was a guy on a Suzuki, and his bike wouldn't start. And he had trailered it. He had wanted to be there. All kinds of time and preparation. And he was just like, yeah, my trip is over. So I said, no, no wait a minute. Let's, let's look through the simple things. Long story short, his ground battery terminal was loose. Two turns of a screwdriver, and his trip was saved. <laughs> wow but if you don't know you don't know yeah so so to your point Frida um yeah there's a lot of knowledge there as well and it's also very important and new riders are not going to know but mm-hmm. you know being able to turn wrenches on your bike is a is a key skill I think I agree and it's a fun one too <laughs> I want to ask you um so now someone comes to you and they want to learn it, like how what's the process what do you go i know we mentioned appropriate gear sometimes you want them to do some work on their bike uh but then what's your process what do you end up doing with them it's so individualized it depends on where the person is at what they are telling me they want to do how tall they are uh a whole bunch of factors come into it so it's really it, it's a it's a conversation it isn't a process and yeah. the conversation is fundamentally different with every rider. If, I mean, if it's somebody who's been riding for a while, if it's a brand new rider, do not pass go, do not collect $200, go take the MSF course. I, hmm. That's step one. Step two, if you've made it through the MSF course, then it's get good gear. Do not be on the street without armored jacket and pants, boots, gloves, and a solid helmet. And at that point, you start thinking about what kind of bike do they want to ride. And, you know, we've, uh, my friends and I have toyed with the idea of having a trainer bike. And we actually have a little DR200 now that, that we could use for that purpose. Mm, and do? Uh, because the thing <laughs> is, you know, a new rider. So, you know, the big question is, what kind of bike should I get is the first question. Mm-hmm. And it's the wrong question because how are you going to know what kind of bike to get because you don't know what kind of rider you are. Mm-hmm. So true. So, you know, I could recommend, a, you know, a, a 250cc TU250, TU great bike. But if you're six foot, that's not a right bike to start with. Mm-hmm. And conversely, you know, an F650GS is not going to be an appropriate bike if you're, you know, 5'1". And then it's a question of how comfortable are they? What do they do well? What do they need to work on? So, again, it's just a conversation and it's an evolving one. And you just try to be like a spirit guide, helping that person through whatever issues happen to come up so that they can become a better rider. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. There's so many nuances and everything is so personalized. Even setting up your, your, your bike itself, like it's just, everything is so personalized. It's, it's really hard to, I guess, like a a laundry list of recipe to do. It's really, like you said, a, uh, a conversation. Yeah, there are so many people who've been riding for a long time. There's this cliche. Have you been riding for 20 years or have you been riding one year 20 times? Hmm. And the rider who's been riding one year 20 times has one year of experience. 
if all you've done is like commute back and forth to work or been in the same area of the country, your experience base is so limited in comparison to someone who's been on all surfaces and been to classes and on the track and across country. And then there are so few people who have the patience to just put themselves aside and really focus on what's going on with you. Because in this transaction, it's not about the mentor. It's about the student or the rider. And if you don't have somebody who's going to really pay attention to you and recognize your struggles, come up with ways to help you identify them, and then very cautiously work through them to step up to the next level. Without that, it's just advice absent a question. Wow. <laughs> so deep as usual. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's just, you know, I'm just like thinking now and like, uh, you know, I honestly thought you were going to tell me, you know, after all that, I'll get them on, you know, in a parking lot. Then the first, I don't know, I think it's 300 miles and then you take them on the highway. And then I, I was going to repeat, you know, Yun's story because he said it to me so many times. You know, think about it. You're in a car and you're, um, so there are, there are a key set of skills that you need in order to be safe on, on the road. And the MSF course, while it is sufficient, is not enough. So imagine, I mean, one something that will happen to every motorcyclist, you're coming up to a stop sign going up a hill, and it's sloped diagonally down to your left side. So you go to put your left foot down. And of course, because it's sloped down, there's no ground there. So you fall mm -hmm. over left, right? So you have to know you're coming up to that hill, and it's, it's cambered off to the left. You're going up and there's a stop sign. You have to know two things to put your right foot down in that context and use the front brake to hold yourself in position because you can't use your foot brake in that circumstance. Mm -hmm. So that's a skill and being able to then start and stop from that situation. And then you kind of combine it. It's like you're there at that stop sign. There are two, three things that you might have to do. Go straight, go right or go left. And each one of those in this angled hill context represents a completely different set of skills. And so you create that scenario and you drill it in because that's one of those scenarios that if you're down at deals gap and you're sitting on the bench, the driveway out is exactly that. And people will fall every single day. So then you look at, you know, stopping and starting on a hill, going down hills, you know, you're at a stop sign, and you have to do a really sharp right or a really sharp left. So yeah, there's, I guess you could say it's not, is there a process, but is there a set of skills that you need to master that are going to happen on rides that you do? Does that make sense? It sure does. I mean, I'm looking at one of the homework assignments you gave me. Practice, left foot down, right foot on peg, hold throttle at 2,500 RPM. Let clutch out slowly and get both feet on the pegs quickly. One second. Grip the tank with your legs, and I'm literally doing that right now, <laughs> and feel your arms loosen. Stop and repeat. <laughs> and do that over and over and over again until it's second nature, because new things will happen, and you don't have the mental space to go through the checklist. Repeating it over and over and over again is so key to make it innate so that you don't mm -hmm. think about it. And it's and it's interesting because even like every single corner that I go in on my motorcycle, I am 
practicing that muscle memory to make certain it doesn't it doesn't get stagnant. Because of course, if you don't ride for too long, it starts to the, the muscle memory starts to atrophy, and you think you know how to do it, but until you test it, you don't. One one of the things that I notice on my my big trip is like how all these things kind of come into play between the skills that are required for uh, particular maneuvers uh, and the comfort level of being able to be on uh, different terrains. And I know that's one of the things that um, we focused on when we were, you were, you were coaching me is to have all kinds of different terrains. I mean, we take, we take the bike to all kinds of, you know, our street tire bikes and you know, on gravel and all kinds of different terrains. And on the roads and yeah, on bumpy pavement, smooth pavement. Yeah. The whole nine yards. Yeah. Right. And every single one of these things do come into play in, in a sense that, you know, also like learning how to be able to, you know, fix my bike and like knowing the basic mechanics of it, like it allows me to be comfortable exploring. And I think I see so many people that literally took the the Pan American highway because they have to stay on paved road or have to stay on certain, you know, kind of road. And then they have to stay close to vicinity where they can get service for their bikes if something broke and i was able to just go out in the middle of nowhere for weeks on end and and be completely comfortable knowing that you know i could fix everything and if it's a really rough row i can still ride it out and without that internal panic of oh my god oh my god there's some gravel in the road or really the, the the bane of the motorcycle existence grass clippings in a corner Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> I once came across a whole pile of grass clippings in a corner on a gravel road, and I'm still kicking myself for not having taken a picture of that and turned it into a meme. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I mean, the thing is, so imagine you're on the Alcan Highway, which is a wonderfully smooth road while it's wonderfully smooth. And then all of a sudden, you're minding your own business and it goes to gravel. No warning, no nothing. That's an accident scenario for the vast majority of motorcyclists. But if you're if you're comfortable having taken the bike that you are riding onto all of these different terrains, then you're going to know what it feels like. And you're not going to have the same level of internal panic that someone's going to have who's never experienced their bike on a given surface. Mm-hmm. Which is one of the reasons that I take my K100RS on gravel roads and the occasional Jeep trail. And... <laughs> <laughs> it's a little extreme. <laughs> Just, a bit. Just a bit. So you've mentored many people. Yeah, it's not, not as many as you would think. I, I was trying to remember how many. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm a, ho- I'm, I'm a hobbyist. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, uh, you know, Lee Parks or Keith Code who do this kind of stuff professionally Forever, right. thousands of people, mm-hmm. but maybe a couple dozen. Whoa. That's more than I even thought. Yeah. But I mean, there's, there's like the full on I'm like being me and going all OCD on people's riding skills. Like I did with Yun. <laughs> uh, and then there are, you know, there are those people who, you know, maybe I'll, I'll actually, it's probably more than a couple dozen, like down a deals gap. You see people getting in trouble all the time. Mm-hmm. And and if they're nice and they're open, you know, I'll I'll lead them through at a nice safe pace. 
and especially if they have a Sina, you know, I'll make certain, do my best to make certain that they don't get in over their heads because it's such a dangerous road. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many people I've done that with or, you know, help them with body position or vision or, you know, throttle control. But it's been, it's been a good number. But there are people out there vastly more knowledgeable than myself. Well, uh, my question is about you and your students. Do you, and you don't have to mention names, but do you have like, do you have some that you feel like, oh, I'm so proud. I really did like this wonderful job and they took it seriously. And then you have like, you know how sometimes a mother with her children, like internally is like, ah, I raised that one so well. And the other, oh man, I should have done a better job with that one. I'm really uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, we'll pretend, you know, that's why I said we're not going to say names you know we don't want him to get competitive and then tomorrow he's going to do a bigger trip or something to prove he's your you know favorite child but <laughs> I'm trying to decide if I've got enough guts to do the trip he's done oh uh, no I mean there are um, there are so many friends of mine that I've helped get into the sport who've become you know decades long riders and really good Mm-hmm. which is as you know that's it's always something you like to see you like to see you want to know that people are are taking it seriously they're riding as safely as is reasonable for the conditions that uh that they can grow as motorcyclists and that's always satisfying you know especially when you hear people tell you you know if it, if it weren't for you, you know, decades later if it weren't for you i wouldn't be in motorcycle that's kind of i guess that's what hits me kind of you know yeah. That's beautiful. I mean, that's definitely the case for me. And I mean, like, I definitely feel like if it weren't for your mentorship, like, I don't, I don't think I would have, you know, done the trips I've done and, and, and really found the enjoyment of it. I mean, I see, I see so many people that get into motorcycling that just, you know, just never get any further than, you know, just around the area. Yeah. Hey, some of us just want to ride to Trader Joe's now. That's a dream. Okay. So easy on around the area. <laughs> No, no, I know, I know what you mean. <laughs> I know that we did like three hundred mile trip, and then the six hundred, and we progressively got further away from my comfort zone. And then there was that breakthrough when I went to Dios Gap that first time, and that was like a whole week or so down there. And that then I started riding, and I totally lost the sense of needing to come home. Yeah, exactly. I was like, wait, what? Going home? Is that terrible? So like that is such a without that process, I don't think I would have gone past just like riding around the area, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because how do you, how, how would you know, you know? Right. Or the alternative, when people are not very calculative and they go out of their comfort zone without mentorship and they get in real trouble. I think these are the two extremes of not having someone guide you as you ride. Yep. There's, and, you know, there are a lot of people who get into it by themselves and then do just fine. But, but when they do that, they develop a lot of bad habits. And I'm <laughs> certainly guilty of that because... You know, the thing I would like people to avoid is to have unlearn having to unlearn what they've learned. Just mm-hmm. unlearning is so much harder than learning. Unlearning is harder than learning, absolutely. And and especially as people get older, if you learn these habits and you and it sounds like this is what you went through, kind of just taught yourself and then learned the right way. Yeah, unlearn all of my old bad habits. And of course, I'm still in that process because those bad habits are so ingrained in me. If you had an advice for someone who wants to get into motorcycling, what what, what would be the advice you give them? Well, there's that that article that I wrote 
Mm-hmm. Maybe a better question is, how do you figure out if someone might be a good mentor for you? Because mm. there's so much bad information out there. There's so many people who think they know, but don't. And can get yes. you into trouble because they're giving you bad advice. Excellent point. And so um, number one would be a person who listens, who's patient, who's takes an active interest in what you are trying to accomplish at your pace, not theirs. And how do you go about finding these people? Well, they're out there. They're somewhat challenging to find, but there are Facebook groups, there are meetups, there are events at uh, motorcycle dealerships like Bob's occasionally has, you know, trainers and whatnot show up because finding someone to be a proper mentor is really challenging because there just aren't enough of them out there. It's mm -hmm. like this huge gap in the industry or in motorcycling. So I would say, you know, somebody who's been riding for quite a while, someone who demonstrates that they're not going to push you mm -hmm. ever so slightly, they'll push your comfort zone, but not your ability. And then only in small increments. Love it. Someone who's actively interested in making you a better motorcyclist safe as safely as possible. Absolutely. I, I love what you said earlier about someone that will help you ride your ride and not ride their ride. I think yeah. that's just, that's like, wow. Because I think that's kind of a problem that, as we said, if you don't ride your own ride and learn to ride it properly, that's kind of where problems happen. Yeah, exactly. And so whenever we take people on training rides, you know, the entire group will ride at the level of the uh, most inexperienced rider in the group. And mm -hmm. we just all, we all just agree, if this is a, you know, a 30 mile an hour ride today, that's what it's going to be mm -hmm. because we don't, we, we want to do our best to prevent people from having bad outcomes. And sadly we can't guarantee that bad outcomes won't happen. But I think by doing all of this, we can at least tip the odds greatly in our favor in comparison to the person who's just gotten their license after the MSF course and they go Absolutely. off the road. Thank you for coming on to our show and speaking to our listeners about mentoring. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Break the Cycles. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button and join us next time on Break the Cycles.